Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Prasad and I'm a consultant psychiatrist at the Bethlehem Royal and Morsley Hospitals in South London. Today we're talking to Janie Antonio, who's one of the uh, co-authors of the new book published by the Royal College of Psychiatrists entitled The Mind, A User's Guide. And this is a a unique uh, enterprise by which the college is reaching out to the public. This is a book written for the public, not necessarily fellow professionals or clinicians. And it's a kind of A to Z encyclopedic guide to psychiatry and psychiatric disorders, uh, starting with disorders like Alzheimer's and autism and going right through um, all the the major psychiatric illnesses. It's one of the first times such a comprehensive um, uh, book has been attempted. So Janie, tell us a little bit about your involvement in the book because you're not a psychiatrist or a psychologist in the formal senses of those words. Um, I've done some work with the Royal College of Psychiatry before and it was just suddenly put to me by the chief executive, would I like to join the editorial board for it? And um, I've done some writing before and I thought it would be rather interesting. And they asked you to join the editorial board because I imagine they thought you would bring a different perspective to the other professionals or clinicians on the board. Yes, um, I'm a service user. I have a diagnosis of schizophrenia and depression. And so I would be coming at um, psychiatric illness from a different perspective. Let's start by talking a little bit about um, your background in terms of um, the psychological problems you've experienced. They, They actually started at a very early age, didn't they? Uh, Yes, when I was seven, I had depression, um, and it's quite a long time ago now, and when I was seven, children didn't get depression, and I come from a family who, if you have a problem, you figure it out for yourself, so I never actually saw anyone for it, I would just go into corners and curl up, and to myself, I called it heat stroke, because it was the summer and it was hot, and after about seven or eight weeks, it, it just went away on its own, but it was pretty distressing, at the time, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. Was anything happening in your life at the time that might have explained it? There was nothing happening in my life at the time. I was just going to school and coming home, and it was really, really horrible. I remember it vividly, and it wasn't until later when I actually had a diagnosis that I knew that that was what was wrong with me then. So um, it seemed to have got better by itself. Um, did, Did people around you notice that there was a problem? I, don't, I have no idea whether my parents or sister or brother or any of the people at school noticed there was anything wrong with me. But as I said, um, it was kind of expected that if you had problems in my family, they figured it out for yourself. And so I just figured it out for myself. And, and what was that figuring out that you did? What I would do is I would go into a dark space and I would curl up um, into a little ball and just sit there because that was the only way I could get my body comfortable. So then it got better by itself when we rolled forward a few years and then some other problems developed. When I was about 15, I again started getting um, problems, I think with depression, and I think probably that's when I started hearing voices, but it's difficult to actually remember. And I went to see my GP, who um, put me on chlorpromazine um, and also sent me to a psychiatrist. And I saw the psychiatrist and told the story. Next time I went back and I saw a different psychiatrist and told the story. And when I went back again, there was a different psychiatrist and I told the story, at which point I thought, I'm not doing this anymore, and I just stopped going. 
Right, okay. And that's a very common experience today, isn't it, still, unfortunately? Yes, these days it's still a very common experience. Um, the, the whole medical setup of junior doctors doing rotations is very good for doctors, but not quite so hot for the patients. Hmm. So the story that you were telling, though, over and over again, was roughly what? What were you saying? I was, I was just saying that um, I was just depressed. I wasn't comfortable in my body. I didn't know what to do with myself. At weekends when I wasn't at school, I would be going out for long walks by myself and hanging out in woods by myself. I didn't know what was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on, on any specific physical problem. You mentioned something about hearing voices. Could you say a bit more about that? Yes, I think that's about when I started hearing voices and they were very distressing and they were telling me to do all sorts of awful things. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't say anything about them because the way, I don't know, in my head it was that you weren't supposed to talk about it. Everybody heard voices, but you weren't supposed to talk about it, so I just didn't talk about it. Not even to the psychiatrist that you were seeing? No, I didn't talk about it to the psychiatrist. Were they curious, though? Did they ask you enough about it to try and get at at the experience, perhaps? They seemed to ask very um, superficial things. I mean, it's a long, long time ago now, and I really don't remember that much about it. Um, But they seemed to ask fairly superficial things. Um, And I wasn't that keen on talking in depth to someone I didn't really know that well, so I was actually evading a lot of questions. And again, that's a very common experience today, isn't it? That often um, people suffering from these experiences don't actually talk about them in as forthright a manner as might be helpful in terms of the therapeutic encounter between them and the doctor. It's very difficult to go in and talk to someone that you've never met before, who can be quite imposing, um, and is usually taking notes as well, um, about your personal problems. It's a really, really difficult thing to do. So it it takes a long time. I've always found with um, psychiatrists and care coordinators that it takes me a long time to get to know them and to relax enough to talk. So this must have been a very distressing experience for you at this time. I mean, you were having these very frightening experiences of the voices, but uh, you weren't telling anyone about it. I just muddled through. I just carried on going to school. I did take a couple of overdoses. Um, Life was very difficult. I think a lot of it was put down to me being an adolescent, and I wasn't an easy person to be around at the time either. Um... I wore, I, like I say, I was doing strange things. Um, my family just put it down to neurosis. I used to permanently get told, you're neurotic, and that, would, that was the end of their involvement with it. Uh, but then, despite all these problems, you managed to make it to university. I went to university on clearing. I got very bad A-levels. Fortunately, I got into a university. I had a jolly good time, but at the end of my first year, I went down with the same kind of problems. And again, um, the, the, the local doctor on the campus uh, told me that either I had to go to the local psychiatric unit or come into the sick bay for the weekend and see a psychiatrist, which I did. And again, they put me on chlorpromazine. Um, I saw the psychiatrist, and I managed to persuade him I was okay. So uh, they let me go. 
So you were kind of threatened with being brought into hospital against your will then, really? Yes, uh, I was threatened with a section, which I didn't know at the time. And he, he gave me the choice. He kind of said, well, either you go to a psychiatric hospital or you come into the sick bay. Those are your two choices. Just choose one of them. So I chose to go into the sick bay. OK. Um, so you got your degree, though. Yes, it was quite interesting, actually. After that experience, about six weeks later, I went down with tonsillitis, went into hospital to have my tonsils out, and somehow that quietness of being in hospital eight days straightened my head out a little bit. Um, so I ended up going on, getting a degree. I only got a third, but I did get a degree. Um, and then things got a little bit better for a while, and I was working, and everything was fine. I got married. I went out to America with my husband, um, to live for three years. And I did get a bit depressed out there, I remember that, um, but nothing I couldn't deal with. And then I came back to England, and then all of a sudden everything just blew up and went wrong again. And then I was definitely hearing voices. Um, it, and it was found, uh, it happened at work because I, I threw a cup at something which other people tell me weren't there. Um, I worked in a hospital. And so they decided I should see a psychiatrist. So I saw a psychiatrist, um, and a little bit later I was admitted to hospital. And what were you experiencing at that time? I was seeing things other people were saying weren't there. I was also very depressed, and I was hearing voices, but I still wasn't talking about the voices. What sort of treatment did you then receive? Um, I went into hospital and they decided that I had depression, so they put me on antidepressants. And I'd only gone in um, f f on the proviso that I didn't have to stay that long. And uh, so I left after that. And then a bit later, I had to go in again for depression. Then I went in for a month. And it was about a year later that I actually said to someone, not the psychiatrist, to a personal friend, oh, they are talking to me, and they said, they who? And it was then I said I was hearing voices, and um, the psychiatrist was told this because he worked in the same hospital that I worked in, and um, that's when I first went on to antipsychotics, and that made life a little bit easier. And do you think it was the medication that really helped? I've had a really, really difficult relationship with medication because I'm really sensitive to the side effects. And so even though the medication was helping symptoms, I found them difficult to live on and work on. So I would come out of hospital and stop taking them because I couldn't get up in the morning or my legs were restless or something. And then um, I would get ill again and go back into hospital. I think the medication does help. And once I found the right medication for me, things are kind of okay. Um, I still get ill sometimes, but they're much better than they were. You say kind of okay. You're looking very well today. I, yes, um, kind of okay because I always feel as if I'm thinking through cotton wool. Um, which is, I think, a side effect of the medication. And I do have to take um, a medication to help with the restlessness side effects as well. So in all this time uh, of these experiences, did you actually receive a diagnosis? It, the diagnosis was quite interesting. I asked the psychiatrist, um, did he know a group that um, I could join? Because I wanted to talk to other people who were, had 
what I had but was still working because not many people are. And he said, why don't you try the National Schizophrenia Fellowship? And I sort of went, oh, schizophrenia. Uh. And um, that's the first time I'd heard the diagnosis. Do you agree with the diagnosis? Yes, I do agree with the diagnosis. Um, I'm not someone who... I can see it's useful to have the label, even though I understand the things that the label has stopped me doing. What sort of things has the label stopped you doing? Um, I was recently asked if I want... Uh, I was sent a letter telling me I had to do jury service, and so I filled in the form, and it said, are you under a psychiatrist? And so I said, yes, but I'm perfectly OK at the moment, and sent it back. And I still got a letter saying that they didn't want me anymore. And you, th you think that was because of the, the mental health history? I think it was the mental health history. And they don't let most people off jury service. Right, right. So what do you think about that? Do you think that's... Um, being unreasonable from their I, th end. I was really, really upset because I was okay. But I suppose if I think about it from the point of view of someone who's being tried, that they want everyone thinking as well as they can. But then I'm thinking, well, does the general public, um, are they all perfectly all right? I mean, why pick out me to stop from doing jury service? Are there any other experiences like that? Um, I haven't got a driving licence. I'm not allowed to drive. I probably, if I went and asked my doctor to write a letter, I would get it back now, but I've just never bothered. And is that very irritating? I live in London, so it's not particularly irritating because public transport is easy to do. Hmm. And actually, we haven't got a car anyway, so... W would you say that um, people facing psychological difficulties have more of a problem in this area in terms of these administrative problems and also the issue of the way they're regarded by others? Uh, I think people do expect different things of people who have especially psychiatric illnesses. Um, for some reason, we're expected to be more unreliable than anyone else. And there is this feeling that um, something awful might happen, that you might suddenly do something very, very strange. Um, I'm, I've met people who tiptoe around me. Um, Mostly, the people around me these days are okay because they, I'm, I'm fairly out about it and they've been around me a long time and they know what to expect. If we could go back to when you were at your um, least well, um, what did you, would you say was the most um, dangerous or, or bizarre or strange thing that you did when you were least well? I have done some very strange things. Um, did jump in the River Thames off Westminster Bridge, um, but the current carried me to the side, so I was okay. And then I just walked home. I walked down there, jumped in, walked home, and that was it. Um, I've walked along the railway line, um, did jump off a bridge once, but a police officer caught me by the back of my um, T-shirt. I just remember always being very scared and not being able to cope with what was going on in my head. There was just too much and it was just too difficult. Um, and then trying to interact with people as well just, just overloaded my head and I couldn't deal with it. So going back to this jumping into the River Thames and also jumping off the bridge, were those, were those suicide attempts? Were you trying to do away with yourself? Um, the, the River Thames one, no. Um, the voices were telling me that I was evil and that if I got water over my head 
then I would get clean again. And that is just the way I chose to do it. It sounds very strange, but that is what happens. Do, do any of those events or, or behaviours um, add, do you think, to, to, to the public image that you, you were, you were criticising earlier, that, that people should tiptoe around you? Yes. Um, what I did was very strange. Um, I can understand why people are... Well, everyone is scared of sudden, unexplained behaviour. It's part of our evolutionary makeup, either to run away or to stand and fight it. Um, I can understand that, and there have been times when I've been in hospital and I've been absolutely terrified of the people around me because they're doing strange things. But then if I sit down with them two, three days later and ask them, why were you doing that? They'll always have a good reason, and once you've heard the reason in their head, it all makes perfect sense. Um, it's, it's very difficult, but this is just the way it is. So now, if someone was doing strange things, I would try and say, well, they must have a good reason for what they're doing, so let's just go with it for the time being and see what's going on. So your feelings in that area, are, are they what contributed to you agreeing to take part in the writing of this book, The Mind, A User's Guide? I'm aware that I'm a fairly articulate person and I can talk about um, my experiences of illness and being around other people who are ill and I'm also quite good at writing about it. So I thought it would be really interesting to take part in writing Mind a User's Guide. Now, one of the chapters that you've contributed to is about managing one's own illness. Um, is, it, is there a difference in the way... Um, we need to manage our own illness in, in psychiatry as opposed to other medical problems? I think there are the slight differences. I think a lot of it is the same. It's about being in touch with the doctors, communicating, taking medication if you have to. But um, especially for, for psychiatric illnesses, um, it's important to think about stress and things that stress you out and things like that. Also, um, it can very much more than a lot of physical illnesses impinge on people around you. So it's very important to think about what's happening for them. That's quite an important point, isn't it? That um, I think many times one of the core issues in psychiatry is about this issue of loss of insight. And loss of insight sometimes means people are not as aware of the impact of their illness on others. There have been times when, when I've been ill and haven't had a clue that I was ill um, and people have been telling me, oh, you've got, to, you've got to go to the doctor or you've got to do this. And I would say, no, I've got to carry on working or do whatever it was I'm supposed to be doing. Um, it can be difficult for the people around um, because they can't do anything about it. In the end, only you can do something about it. Um, Let's go back, though, in terms of managing one's own illness, right back to the beginning, even before one, one gets a diagnosis or one sees a doctor. There was, for you, as it was, is for many people with psychological problems, a kind of almost a long period of a suffering of symptoms before one actually arrives at the right kind of help. There may be many people listening to this, for example, who are wondering whether they have a psychological or psychiatric difficulty that could benefit from professional intervention. Any thoughts about the managing your, your own illness issue, as it were, before you even see a doctor or a professional clinician for the first time? 
There are now early intervention services, and when these first came about, I was very, very um, suspicious of it because I thought, oh, people are going to get um, a label or have to take really huge amounts of medication um, and not to be very ill. But the services seem to be working very well, and they actually work with minimum doses of med medication and with um, a lot of psychological help, both for the person and the family. So I actually think now it's a good idea, and I really, really wish that um, I had had the help at that time, because maybe I wouldn't be struggling as much as I am now. Despite all the difficulties you've experienced, you, and you, you've told us about um, some extraordinary things, like jumping into rivers and jumping off bridges, you seem very optimistic about the illness and the future? I've learned to live with it. I think I actually am a pretty optimistic person and do it by taking it more or less a day at a time. Um, one of the things we say in our chapters, me and Vanessa Cameron, about managing the illness is that if you have a relapse, don't kick yourself, um, don't worry about it. You'll get up and do things again. I do get very frustrated if I end up ill and in hospital. I get extremely frustrated. But in the end, I'm out and I'm doing things again and I'm enjoying my garden, enjoying the choir, enjoying living with my husband and everything's okay. Janie, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.